Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, thank you for letting me come back. It's been a year since I've seen you folks, and it's a delight to be part of this congregation again and speak to you over the next few weeks. I have been assigned a topic, and uh, so you can blame your pastor if you don't like what I have to say, um, or maybe, uh, maybe blame me because he hasn't, hasn't read what I'm going to say. Uh, thanks to Sarah. Thank you for your presentation. Where did she get to? There you are. Um, thank you for Heather. Thank you for leading us today and the, and the group. And for the Daves. I understand there are a lot of Daves. And we saw a couple of them this morning. And I'm, I am one of them. Let me read a little essay that uh, I have composed for studying the wisdom books of the Old Testament. Please indulge me as I as I just read a little essay that I've written. Where is wisdom to be found? This was a burning question for Job and now for us. A crucial part of the answer comes from the book that was written about him, the book of Job, as well as three other books in the Old Testament that fall into the category of wisdom. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and a few psalms that are considered to be wisdom psalms. And in these books, we will study the messages and lessons, especially of Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, and we'll look for the wisdom they express for today's church and world. We'll leave Song of Solomon for another time and another venue. So welcome to the world of the sages and their primary tool, the proverb. Welcome to the world of poetry as the sages write their essays and lectures and crafted in, art, craft, in, crafted in artistic form. Welcome to their teachings in the realms of practical realities and instruction for lifestyle. And welcome to their thoughtful musings on the ultimate realities of God, the world, and ourselves. We will meet Lady Wisdom, Hakma, in the book of Proverbs, who stands at the crossroads and beckons all of who will to follow her, and we do. We follow her as she leads us through the relationship of God and the world of pain and loss. We will hear Job lament, and we'll see God challenge we will learn of what is we will learn what is of ultimate value and we will see god in all his glory we will then follow lady wisdom through the sages teachings of living smart in the earthy and practical realities of sexual morality violence the tongue neighbors marriage and numerous other topics of life and living. We will hear Solomon and others in both pithy proverb and crafted essay in the collection we know as the Book of Proverbs. Lady Wisdom then takes us into the musings and teachings of Koheleth. We hear the grizzled sage instruct his students on what life is all about, and perhaps better, what life is not all about. Through the experiences of disappointment and failure, as well as success and prosperity, Solomon instructs the next generation and us in wisdom 
godliness, and ultimate values. We are leaving Solomon's song for another time and place, another time and venue. But in that book, Song of Songs, which belongs to Solomon, we are guided into Solomon's best song. In this wonder of romance, passion, and poetry, we hear wisdom and celebration brought to bear on the most intimate relationship of human life. As we explore these writings, we will be instructed in wisdom and in worship. As children of God, we will hear God's inspired words speak and teach. And at the end of it all, we will be reminded one more time what it is to live for the creator rather than the creation and what it is to live in the fear of the Lord. So... Today is introductory, and this will sound more like a lecture than a sermon. I don't know whether to apologize for that or not, but we will try to make serious application at the end of what I'm going to talk about this morning. And so I'm going to start with this, and I want to read to you the doxology that comes at the end of Romans 11, and it points to a God that is the epitome and incomprehensible in wisdom. Let me read Romans 11, 33 to 36. Oh, the depths of the riches and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So in the next few weeks and then uh, one other week, uh, we're going to dip our toes into that wisdom of God that is beyond full comprehension. And in doing so, we will be led to a truly God-centered worldview, be led to hopefully some practical living, and we will be led to the worship of the one who embodies wisdom, Jesus Christ, even as we read earlier out of 1 Corinthians 1. So, the lecture begins. There are four wisdom books. Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. We start with Job. Job is what we call higher wisdom. And it deals with God's sovereign work in the world and the consequences that are not always good for humankind. Job suffers at the hand of God's sovereign work in the world. God answers a challenge from what, who we know or what we know as the Satan, the Hashatan, from the Satan, by bringing suffering on his saint, Job. And the book explores what that means for Job and for us. And in that book, we are led to lament deep, 
passionate, even angry in Job 3. We are led to disdain for inadequate human wisdom from his wife, from his friends, and from a self-righteous know-it-all, a guy by the name of Elihu. And finally, at the end of the book, we will face a confrontation from God. Where were you when I created the thunderstorm, behemoth, and Leviathan? Where were you? The word pipsqueak isn't in the Bible, but basically that's what he's saying when I did all this. And we're led to a confrontation from God that leads us to repent. He repented in dust and ashes because of our inadequacy in our understanding and comprehension of God. We then will move to the book of Proverbs. We call that lower wisdom. Job is asking the big questions of God in relation to the world and us in relationship to that God and sovereign God. Proverbs we will call lower wisdom. And Lady Hakma, Lady Wisdom, will speak to us about the practicalities of living wisely in everyday life. And we will hear Lady Wisdom. We will hear Hakma. And Hakma is the Hebrew word for wisdom. And she will speak to us about money and alcohol, men's and women's sexual relationships. She will speak to us about neighbors. She'll talk to us about laziness and a work ethic. She'll talk to us about power. She'll talk to us about the poor. She'll talk to us about a real fascinating verse, etiquette, etiquette at a banquet table. It's one of my favorites. If you go to a banquet and you are a person of great appetite, put a knife to your throat. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Not the time to go, all right, time to eat. She will talk to us about dealing with fools, and she'll talk to us about a lot more things. Solomon composed a lot of it. And he brings us to the feet of Hakma. But we hear wisdom teaching also from twice from the Guild of the Sages, a community of sages. We'll hear wisdom from Azure. And we'll hear from wisdom from Lemuel's mother. Really cool. She has some really good things to say. And then the, po then the book ends with a beautiful acrostic poem on the virtues and values of Lady Wisdom that we all need to embrace. Sorry, Proverbs 31, verse 10 and following is not just pointed to women. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little later. That we all need to embrace and whom we see throughout the book at the crossroads of life. We will then move to Ecclesiastes. It comes back into the domain of what we would call higher wisdom. The author's name is Koheleth, which means gatherer or assembler. It comes from the Hebrew word kahal, to gather. And so the author has gathered, in particular, young adults at his feet 
and is speaking to them his treatises on wisdom. Sometimes I call the book of Ecclesiastes lectures to my students. And so he is a teacher or the preacher. And it's interesting because a student writes the last words of the book and commends his teacher as being wise and godly. The teacher is a king in Israel. Many of us do believe that it is Solomon who is the lecturer in the, bo- in the, in the book. And in a m- moment of rare brilliance in the sorry end of his life, he was able to compose this book of wisdom for his students. And throughout the book, we'll hear him speak to his students about what life is all about, or better, in light of his experiences, what life is not all about. He'll talk about wine, women, wealth, and wisdom. But he'll also talk about power. He'll talk about the place of suffering and sacrifice in Ecclesiastes 7. He'll talk about why we should take risks in life, Ecclesiastes 11. And he'll talk about the place of joy in wise living and the wisdom-filled life. We'll hear him use the word vanity or meaninglessness a number of times throughout his book. And then we will also hear him use the phrase under the sun, which is key to understanding what he's talking about in that book. And yes, the fourth wisdom book is the Song of Solomon. Technically, it is not a wisdom book, since it does not use the vocabulary and style of the other three, never mentions the fear of the Lord, which is key. However, in the tradition of Israel, we understand that it was preserved by the wisdom writers of the Old Testament. And Solomon, the author, who was the epitome of wisdom because of his prayer at the uh, point of the dedication of the temple when he asked for wisdom rather than success and wealth, wrote this as Song of Songs, which belongs to Solomon. And whenever you say something of something in the Old Testament, Song of Solomon, Holy of... Song of Songs, Holy of Holies, something like that, that is speaking of superlative, the best, the most, the greatest. So in many ways, Solomon's Song of Songs is the epitome of his writings. And that book is about two iconic and larger-than-life people, Sholomo and Shulamith. Both of them, the male and female, takeoffs of the Hebrew word shalom. And that book is pointing to the most intimate relationships of life and how that can be brought into the domain of shalom or peace. And while it may be seen as an allegory or metaphor of the relationship of God in Israel or Christ in the church, to take it that way first and only is to miss the wisdom teaching intended by the book in the most crucial and most intimate relationship of a man and a woman. It is important and valued teaching for the church, and perhaps we can find another time and venue to explore this book together. 
I want to, as my kind of final point or thought to make, I want to spend the next couple of minutes talking about the God-centered focus of the wisdom books. While wisdom is often viewed as human insights and understanding, and it is, very much a wise teacher teaching young adults, almost horizontal, that, that wise teacher gathering young adults at his feet, speaking to them about the big things of this world, God's sovereignty in the place of pain, the practicalities of life, what life is all about, what life is not all about. And while it is very much kind of that, that, that uh, human understanding being brought into the domain of these young adults, wisdom ultimately, rooted in scripture, brings a God-centered worldview. I'm going to use a fancy word here. I'm, you're probably going to hear it from me several times. But the fancy word is the biblical focus of wisdom is what we call theocentric, God-centered. And it's captured in one phrase that we see throughout the three classic wisdom books, Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. And that phrase is the fear of the Lord. So wisdom as we read these books, is pushing us towards that one theocentric idea. How do we live in the fear of the Lord? What I want to do now is show you key texts in each of the classic wisdom book, books, Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. If you have a Bible, you can trace those with me. They may be on the screen behind me, maybe a bit of a sword drill, but we will begin with Job chapter 28, verse 28. A little note of explanation. Job 28 is the pivot of the book. It is where everything hinges and turns. Job 28 is not part of the final speech of Job that ends in chapter 27. It is a poem dropped into the book by the author of Job in order to communicate the ultimate value and place of wisdom. We don't know who wrote it. We'll talk about that more next week. But it stands at the center and pivot of the entire book. And so it constantly asks the question, where is wisdom to be found? Is it found in the depths of the earth? Is it found in the sky? Is it found in the sea? Is it found in the far reaches of the, of the, of the universe? The answer comes starting in verse 23. God understands the way to it. He alone, he alone knows where it dwells, for he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of, force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and the pass of the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. So at the climax of the pivot chapter 
of the entire book, we see the phrase, the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. We come over to Proverbs, the next of the three classic wisdom books. And we come to the first chapter in the introduction. And as Solomon begins the book, he starts with the notion of wisdom. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king in Israel, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. Put a period at the end of Israel, put a capital on the word F, uh, on the letter F, uh, on the word for. It carries on down below. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding the words of the insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, for doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple and knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and, and parables, the sayings of riddles of the wise, and then the motto. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So even as he begins the entire book, he locks into a theocentric worldview wrapped around the phrase, the fear of the Lord. He does a similar kind of thing in, again, another pivot chapter in the book of Proverbs, and it's Proverbs chapter 9. And Proverbs 9 forms a transition from a series of essays into a whole series of pithy proverbs, beginning in chapter 10, starting with the title, The Proverbs of Solomon. But in chapter 9, he brings to, to a conclusion a whole series of essays. And he talks about Lady Wisdom building a house. Then he talks about Lady Folly building a house. And they are at either end of the chapter, Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly, that everything moves in this chapter towards the middle. And again, a pivot or a turning point is found in chapter 9, verse 10. Again, at the apex of a critical chapter in the book of Proverbs, we read these words. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding for through wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. So again, the fear of the Lord is crucial to the wise teachings, understandings of what it is to live in wisdom. One final one, and it's the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. The culminating verses of the book, we know them well. And in many ways, I believe that beginning at verse 9, we actually have the words of one of uh, Koheleth Solomon's students who commends his teacher. Not only was the teacher wise, but he imparted knowledge to the people. I'm in chapter 11, verse 9, chapter 12, verse 9. 
Not only was the teacher wise, but he imparted knowledge to the people. And the t student goes on to talk about how he found just searched to find just the right words. What he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise, the words of the teacher, Koheleth wrote the book, are like goads or collected sayings, like firmly embedded nails. In other words, they prod and they anchor at the same time. Given by one shepherd, and I believe the shepherd is in fact Koheleth here. And then, and then the student turns to his kid and says, be warned, of the, be warned of my son and anything in addition to them, of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. That is the theme verse of every student on the planet. But then he concludes, and I think either this is Solomon concluding his old book, or perhaps it is the student who is summarizing the teachings of Kohela throughout the book. But it is the culminating verses of the entire book, and the entire book must be read in, these, in light of these verses. When I preach through the book of Ecclesiastes, I've done that many times, several times, I always wound up going to these verses. The congregation go, okay, he's going to go to Ecclesiastes 12, we're going to get it again. But this, is the act, this has to be the, the verses that kind of overlay everything else in the book. Otherwise, you're going to wind up with a carnal cynic rather than a god, godly sage. And so the final verses of his lectures are these. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all humankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So in the very last verses of, these, of this book that is so exciting to preach and teach, I go back to it often, we hear the phrase, fear God, fear the Lord, and keep his commandments. So that's, this then raises the question, well, what is it to fear the Lord? What is fear the Lord? And I think we need to understand that the word fear the Lord, the word fear does have an edge of being afraid or even, even terror. We can't take that away from the word. And I've, I've heard a lot of explanations that say, well, it, it doesn't mean to be afraid. It doesn't mean terror. Well, you can't take that edge away. It's there. There's something to be said for standing in awe, standing back, being a little intimidated. But the word is also used as a parallel term throughout the book, Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, as a, as a synonym for worship and to bow and to, to worship. So it's often, it can often mean honor or respect, stand in awe of. And so on points of the worship, the honor, the standing of awe of God at the very center of life. Now, here's how I illustrate it. So often when we think of our God world and living in our God world, we put ourselves at the center of that world. And we put God in orbit around that center. And that worldview carries all the God language. It's, all, it's full of God speak. God answered my prayers. God was there for me. God showed up. 
That is what we call an anthro or human-centered worldview. And God is in orbit around us, answering our prayers, acting on behalf of us, serving us as some kind of divine genie. That's how many of us think. Too many of us. And at times, I catch myself in that kind of worldview. But the fear of the Lord worldview, what we call a theocentric worldview, is that God is at the center and we are in orbit around him. So it turns everything inside out. And all of a sudden, it's not God acting as a genie to solve our problems, even though he is there for us, even though he does hear our prayers, even though he does show up. It creates this worldview that says, my life, as I orbit God and live in the fear of the Lord, I am now driven by his morality, his ethics, his spirituality. I'm driven by his commands and laws. I'm driven by his mission in the world. I am driven by his glory and honor. And there is not anything that I do in the world, in my life, as a father, as a husband, as a man, as a teacher, as a citizen, and all that I am as a person, there is nothing I do in my world with this God-centered worldview that doesn't connect somehow with God's morality, God's ethics, God's spirituality, God's commands and laws, God's mission in the world, and God's glory and honor. It shapes how I think, how I act, how I respond, everything that I am and do. So welcome to the world of the sages, the wise men and women, the world of poetry, the world of practical realities and instruction for lifestyle, the world of a God-centered worldview, whether in times of suffering or joy, or making truly God-centered decisions. New Testament tells us of this story of uh, Jesus and um, teaching his disciples, a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus. And I've often thought it would have been so cool to be part of that lecture, to hear how Jesus pointed the Old Testament to himself. And I would have loved to hear the part of that lecture to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus when he got to Job, when he got to Proverbs, when he got to Ecclesiastes, 
And yeah, when he got to Song of Solomon. Oh, to be in the folds of the garments of Jesus as he gave that lecture. Well, unfortunately, we don't have that lecture. So you've got to put up with my interpretation of how I think all this stuff works. And hopefully, in the process, get to Jesus and the fear of the Lord. So what do we learn about God? I repeat the text from Romans that we read earlier in the service. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and paths beyond training, uh, tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, who has given to God that we should repay him, that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And as we look at the wisdom books over the next few weeks, I hope we get to see a whisper of the depth of those riches of wisdom and find texts that will help us form a God-centered worldview walking in the fear of the Lord. What's the good news here? What's the gospel in something like this? And the good news is that God has not left us uninformed of how to, how to live wisely in God's world. He has given us big ideas that shape our worldview and our understanding of God and his will and ways in a broken, sinful world. And he's given, sage, given us sage, practical wisdom for godly and successful living in God's world and kingdom in many very earthy, practical ways. And the best news is, as we think about the gospel all this wisdom is embodied in a person, Jesus of Nazareth. And so we come at wisdom in two directions. One, we come at wisdom through the wisdom teachings we find in these books to help us become more Christ-like, to walk in wisdom with this God-centered worldview, working in, living in the fear of the Lord actually brings us into Christ-likeness. But then we turn around and we see Christ. See, Christ presented in the Gospels in particular. We see how we lived and walked and, and taught and spoke and interacted with people, with women and children and men. And as we look at Jesus, we then go backwards into these wisdom books and we see him live out the teachings that we find in these Old Testament books. Jesus is the wisdom of God, as we read in 1 Corinthians earlier. And as we Christians embrace Christ, we embrace wisdom. And we say to the world, to unbelievers, that to embrace Christ by faith is to embrace wisdom. And that's good news for all of us. So how do we need to think differently? And the core thing I'd like myself and all of us here to think about is this. And here's the application I said that I wanted to bring at kind of at the end of a talk or a lecture. I want all of us to ask, including myself, what is it for us to live in the fear of the Lord? What is it for us to create a theocentric worldview? And that's the question I want all of us to ask. I can't answer that for you. We'll explore some of that in the texts. But this is what I want all of us to take away today. To leave here asking, okay, 
What is it to live out a worldview that has God at the center of the orbit of my life? And this is worldview shaping. It's kingdom of God citizen thinking. In all that we do or think or speak or rationalize or choose or react or respond, how is this reflecting the fear of the Lord? His morality, his ethics, his spirituality, his mission, his glory. And this is a whole lot bigger than what would Jesus do. It's, world, it's a worldview perspective that will shape and transform all of life and all relationships and all decisions and all priorities and all rationalizations and explanations. And as I said, this is a serious and heavy application that I wanted to get to as we did this little introduction to these really important parts of the Old Testament. So what is our personal response? How do we respond to all this? Well, I'm going to suggest three things, very practical. And um, I will ask next week for a show of hands as to whether you follow through on these things. I mean, that's what a professor does. And this will be your entrance requirement into the kingdom of God. First thing I'd like us all to do this week is to read the book of Job. Yep, the whole thing. All right? And I promise, I've read it numerous times, but I promise I will read it again this week. All right? So there's the first thing, practical, takeaway. Let's all read the book of Job. Find your favorite version and read it. And if you can get through it a couple times, that would even be better. All right? Second, when we're reading the book of Job, let's ask ourselves three questions. What am I learning about God? What, I, what am I learning about myself as the child of God who wants to walk in wisdom? And what am I learning about the world? God, ourselves, the world. Ask those three questions as we're reading, okay? That's the second part of the assignment. The third part of the assignment is this, let's pray as we read that the Holy Spirit will encourage, convict us in light of what we're reading. Let's make our reading of the book of Job an act of devotion and worship as we seek to see Christ in a new way through the pages of Job thinking about that lecture that he gave to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And let us hear the Spirit of God speak to us in a new and fresh way. God bless you all.